and welcome back to the Red River Horror Podcast. I am your host, Joe Zakreski, joined by Eddie Kaiazo. Hi, Ed. How are you? Joe, I am doing fantastic this evening. Excellent. I'm very excited. Episode 10, here we are. We have a very special interview featuring RedRiverHorror.com's own Stacey Lane Wilson and the writer of Halloween 6, Daniel Farrens. 25 years of Halloween 6? 25 years of Halloween <laughs> 6. So we are very excited for to share this interview with you guys. Please enjoy. We're going to send you over to that now. What are you talking about? I was babysitting with him that night. Little Mikey Myers that lived across the street. And that's when the voice came. The night he murdered his sister. All right. So 25 years of Halloween 6. How about it? Halloween 6, 666, The Curse of Michael Myers. It's pretty amazing. It really is. <laughs> amazing how, how time flies. Well, we have two very special guests on the program today. We do. The great Stacey Lane Wilson, horror master, one of our absolute favorite women in horror that knows a lot more than we do. That is. And that's going to be the new hashtag, isn't it? Women in Horror Wednesday? Correct. Oh, yeah. Hashtag Correct. women. Oh, okay. Every Wednesday on Twitter. Join us. <laughs> and she facilitated a great interview with the writer of Halloween 6, Daniel Farrens. Daniel, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks, guys. Hey, Stace. Hey. Yeah. Stacy and I go way back. We are actually very good friends in real life. So <laughs> known each other for many, many years. Well, how did you guys meet cherished friends? How did we meet Stacy? I don't remember. I think it was at like like Fango I'm, something. Might have been, but you know, I'm I'm you know, I think that our friendship really solidified when you directed me on the stripper pole that time. How <laughs> <laughs> would do it? How would do it? Yes. That was called putting total trust. <laughs> and that's true. And for the audience's reference, we I had been brought on by Paramount uh, back in around 2008 to, to to create these bonus features for, for the Friday the 13th films that they were going to re-release. I think it was only on DVD at the time. Um, but they had asked me to come up with a bunch of kind of vignettes and back behind the scenes things, but also things that would sort of like help expand the universe of the story. So I had had this idea that we'd revisit each of the sequels. I think at the time I was doing like four through eight. And so there was the character in, in Friday Five where it was this kind of like robot punk rock chick vibe. And I just created this kind of like mockumentary, like what if the Crystal Lake murders were real? And I just brought in everybody that I could think of would do me a favor. And Stacy being one of them, <laughs> you know you have a real friend when people agree to play a punk rock 80s chick stripper sister. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did it without any hesitation and just kind of like walked right through it and was like, "Yep, that was that was my sister and she died and Jason killed her." Actually, it was Roy that killed her. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting off on a tangent. That's uh, that probably is the moment where we we, we knew we were we're lifelong friends. Yeah, we bonded. Yep, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great so. start. Yeah. <laughs> It's a whole other podcast. <laughs> Halloween five. I mean, I'm sorry, Friday the thirteenth five. I've heard. Yes. Actually, you know, Doctor Halloween was with us last week. He sometimes put that puts that on his 31 days. Does he of Halloween viewing? Interesting, because he says it has a fall feel to it. So I don't know. Do you guys share that opinion? Is is how is Friday the thirteenth part five? Does does that 
resemble fall in any way to you? I mean, it, it was shot in Los Angeles, so I don't. <laughs> Los Angeles ever really feels like fall. I mean, maybe there's a few streets, but right. I don't know. I never really got that impression from that movie. I just thought it was weird. Right, right. I, I remember as a kid when I first saw it, I was kind of angry about the whole thing. Like they had like turned it into something that, like, it was kind of sleazy and sort of you know trashy. Yes. And, and maybe others would argue that all of the Friday the 13th movies are sleazy and trashy, but I didn't think that way and I <laughs> until part five. <laughs> yeah, it was I was going to say that like there's it. something wrong with that, Dan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> something wrong with me. Um, but anyway. Yeah, it's like a case of know your I audience, get, right? It's like that one and I think like Jason Goes to Hell. I think those are the two that kind of get the, and maybe eight, but not as much. Those are the ones that really get, you know, it's either fans like ab- abhor them or they, you know, really have embraced those movies. Right. Yeah. And I got to tell you, so like the one thing that made me excited to, to have you on, uh, Dan, well, and Stacy, cause it's nice to finally get to meet you after reading your articles, <laughs> which I enjoyed. <laughs> and then Dan, you coming on. So this, you, this movie, Halloween six is actually the first Halloween movie I ever saw. Oh God, make me feel really old. No? I, yeah. Uh, I, when you were yeah, saying that, just like how much time has passed, I'm just like, well, I'm about to drop right. one on you at some point. <laughs> yeah, you should. Yeah, I get, I've been getting that a lot the past few years where it's like, it's the first one I saw, or the first one I saw in the theaters. And I'm like, oh my God. Uh, <laughs> yeah. time, time is definitely marching on. Um, but no, that's, that's actually really cool. And actually it makes me appreciate the movie more than I ever have because it, it does seem to like resonate with certain age groups. So I think that's something a little, little feather in our cap. For Except for Paul Rudd, who's in it, who looks exactly the same <laughs> as he did then. Yes, he hasn't changed. And he owes his career to me. Let's just face facts. Well, yeah, you've heard it here first, folks. <laughs> well, well Paul, actually, Rudd, Paul Rudd needs to give thanks. He does. And if you, well, we're going to be posting. So just a little for, for the listeners out there. So this comes out on Mondays, this podcast. The, the article that Stacy did with her interview um, with Dan, that will be out, I think, on the film's theatrical release date, September 29th. Am I right about that? That is correct. Yes. That's when it was released, September 29th, 1995. How about that? But if- Day that lives in cinematic infamy. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing about that movie was I remember it was released up against two other well-known films. One was The Great Seven. Uh, And the other one, I'm even prouder to say, is Showgirls. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Those were the three top contenders that weekend. The same weekend? Yeah. Wow. Well, Seven, I want to say, had opened the weekend before, and it ended up holding the number one place, and then Halloween 6 came in second. Okay. Showgirls was a distant third. Oh. Yeah. Well, they slapped that NC-17 on there. That prevents people from, from seeing it. Well, we've embraced it now. Yeah. Real love of Nomi. Yep. <laughs> Get your ice cubes. <laughs> Man, I haven't seen that movie. Oh, my gosh. When was the last time I saw Show? Well, it's also 25 years, so I so, think it's time to revisit. So, yeah. I watched it on VHS. Well, now we can watch well, it on stream. Well, not together. Some streaming platform. <laughs> not together. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's quite i mean yes going up against seven i to joe's point so he saw it that was the first halloween film he saw it was actually the first halloween six was the first one that i saw that was new so i'd had i had seen mm-hmm. one two and three but mm-hmm. that i had to i had the experience at least of seeing the commercials on television 
And then when it came out on home video, um, we had a West Coast video, which is now defunct. But when, mm-hmm. when you went in, they played trailers of all the new releases. And I just remember seeing Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. And it was Marion Hagen jumping out the window, someone dressed mm-hmm. in a black robe. And then the scariest Halloween film ever made popped up on the screen. I'm oh. like, we got to get it. Like we're, we're like, just like take our money now. Right? <laughs> I would agree with that, actually. Yeah. For like actual like fear factor. Yeah. For the. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, for me, for me, the experience was a little different, to say the least. Yeah. That, but, I mean, uh, yeah. And, you know, I mean, the, it's interesting that movie like is as early as we were in the in the Internet world. I mean, it was really like on the cusp of it. You know, I remember when they asked me to do some interviews for the film. There was like two services that people could use to get on the internet. One was CompuServe and the other one was called Prodigy. Prodigy. Yeah. <laughs> they had to send, in order for me to chat live, they had to send a Prodigy representative to my house to type it out. Wow. And, well, yeah, 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 yeah. So it was very strange. So that's how that's what gives you context of like where we were technically in the world. <laughs> so you know, they, I didn't get immediate feedback like you would today, and you know, fans know more about the movie that's being made than the people who are making it um, now. So in a way, we were kind of nice. We had a, it was nice for us. We had a we lived in our own little bubble when we made it because I honestly didn't I didn't realize. I mean, of course, you know that it's successful, but until you start to really see the breadth and depth of the fan base. You don't. It doesn't register, or it didn't for me. Mm-hmm. So I think I just thought I was the only one that like was obsessed with Halloween. <laughs> 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 In a way, that was good because it gave me. You know, I didn't feel like I had so many people to satisfy. I guess is is the way to put it. Um, I wasn't wasn't feeling like I had to you know live up to something. I mean, certainly did because of the original movie and everything, and I loved it with a passion, but. Um, I wasn't getting that immediate feedback like the guys who are making these movies now do, you know. Mm-hmm. So that must be really hard for them because I feel like they're standing on the stage that they, you know, they're they're a little bit damned if they do, damned if they don't. Yeah, and then so they're getting criticized just, for too much. Out. I just feel like it's it's gotten to that point of such saturation and so much fan service, if you will, and I don't mean that in a positive way actually because it's, it's there's too much interaction even before a movie gets made. So, um, yeah. I mean, I love, I love the excitement, but I, I feel like some of it gets to that world of being so negative that it gets scary. Yeah. And, and I guess right. you even would have experienced something like that 25 years ago. Cause one of the questions that like one of my written down questions that I had mm-hmm. was like notoriously this test screening that's talked about by, by all the oh, actors, yeah. by you. So I hear it was for 14 year olds. I hear it was for high school mm-hmm. kids, college kids. What was the actual demographic of the people that saw the first cut, that test screening of that film? Right. Uh, you know, honestly, I wasn't there. Uh, it was in New York. Um, I live in Los Angeles, and I wasn't invited to that. So oh. I just had heard after that had gone on that, that it was pretty much filled with, like, kids, you know, but, but like, 14 to 18 type, you know, demographic. Was okay. pretty much what they catered to at that. That's what I was told. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, across the board, they didn't like it because it wasn't gory, bloody, you know, um, they wanted it, you know, they wanted a blowout kind of Jason style movie. And we didn't make that, you know, we made something that was a little bit more 
built on what we were trying to make was more suspenseful and, and kind of a throwback more to the original in terms of how it was paced. But And then when the feedback, the negative feedback came back on the screening and the Weinsteins <laughs> uh, got hold of that, they were instantly like, you want gore, we want blood, we want exploding hits. Hmm. See, and I, I mentioned this in another podcast, so for our listeners out there, I don't mean to repeat it, but we have an expert, two experts on here today. I heard notoriously that John Carpenter did the same thing to Rick Rosenthal's film in Halloween 2. Well, I can't comment because I was 12. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that is what happened. I think John went. But, you know, honestly, when you look at the... You look at Halloween too, and the, that sort of TV director's cut hybrid, whatever that is, has made its way out. I think it's on one of the rays. It's just not as good as what ended up in the final movie. I, I know John's not a big fan of it um, either way, but I think he, whatever he whatever he went in and augmented it with, I think actually helped. Hmm. I don't think it took away from it. I think it actually helped the movie a little bit more. You know, contemporary, but also very um, like the, like it had more of a, a thrust to it. And I think Rick's cut was a little drier. You know, it just had a lot of you know baggage that it didn't need. And I think John just went in and recut it and streamlined it. Huh. Yeah, and you can you can feel that. Question. Yeah. Yeah. In the case of Halloween Six, now it yeah. said that you, know, that you had to do a series of reshoots and stuff. So, but they did. So, as the screenwriter, did they have you write? those extra scenes or did they just go ahead and do what they did? Good question. Um, they did bring me on for like a week to do up. Um, there were just a, a, a series of scenes, again, going off of this, this mandate from Bob Weinstein who wanted all of these kind of over the top, bloody gory kills. So, you know, I kind of, so they, they basically kind of earmarked like pieces of the movie. Like we want something here and here and here and here and here. And so I went in and I wrote versions of that. And then they wanted essentially a whole new ending. And so I wrote my version of that. What I didn't know at the time was that they had hired another writer by my back, wrote something else, like entirely. And I kind of got wind of it, you know, because I was kind of still in the mix a bit. You know, the director and I were always friendly with each other. But I, you know, you def I definitely sensed more of a like camps being created, especially as things got a little more tension so you know because there was the Miramax side and the Weinsteins and the director kind of joined that camp and you know for career longevity you know they were offering him more movies to make and then on the other side the other camp would have been Mustafa Akkad and Paul Freeman and and his son Malik um or Mustafa's son Malik and the producers like sort of like the production side and those sides clashed and I was sort of in the middle of it I wanted to still sort of make sure the movie was being attended to. But I also didn't want to sort of slap in the face of the guys that had brought me into this, which were really the cots. So, I mean, I felt a real loyalty to them. I still do. Um, so it was weird. I, I was kind of in between the two camps. I was there when they were shooting most of those things. And I remember kind of at one point when I objected to certain things happening that I was pulled aside and said, this is the director's movie. If you don't like it, you can leave. And that was that was that. So you know, it's it's one of those things in Hollywood. You know, you write and Stacey, you know this writer and director yourself. So it's you kind of you give birth to the child when you're a writer, and then you give it up for adoption. <laughs> you give it to these people, and you hope that they'll 
nurture it and care for it and, and let it grow properly. But, you know, that doesn't always happen. Yeah. But I was very protective because I was such a fan, you know, um, and this was a life changing moment for me to get this job. And um, I had lobbied for it for over five years. So, yeah. Um, so it's disappointing when you sort of saw these factions sort of tear into it. Yeah. You know, they all had ideas of what it should be, but none of those ideas really ever gelled or they never really met in a place that I felt creatively was right for this. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's like such a it's it's a shame. It's such a common story to have, like, you know, someone work work so hard on something. And then, you know, the person in the director's chair being able to be like, yeah, we're going to go this way with it. I mean, yeah. And, I, you know, I don't entirely blame Joe Chappelle, who's the director of the movie. He's gone on to a really big career in television and done other movies and stuff. Um, I mean, I have no like ill will toward him. He, you know, did this as an assignment. Um did I think the best he thought he could do under the circumstances. Mm. And I think he felt a loyalty to the Weinsteins at the time because they were dangling, you know, additional movies in front of him. A three picture uh, deal, right? Yeah. You know, and yeah. I mean and to put it in perspective, you know, he was like a young, like a college, recent college graduated. He come came from Chicago. Um, I think he'd gone to Northwestern. He had a wife and a kid, and I think there was another one on the way. So I'm sure that part of his, you know, was, and obviously you want to build your career and, and yeah. let's face facts, you know, in those days when the Weinsteins were winning Oscars um, and Dimension was the hottest genre studio in town, who wouldn't have jumped at that? Yeah. I mean, and how many shots yeah. are you going to get? Completely. So yeah. I think if he, Joe had just sort of played it like, oh, I'm with the Akkads and Dan on this and we're just going to make this movie, you know, I think that he would have blown his chance to work. Yeah, and you know I can't blame him. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's that. No, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. But the Weinstein's are garbage. So <laughs> we all know that now. Well, <laughs> well, we can we can you know we can talk about it a little more freely. Um, yeah. On podcast, yeah, well, we can. We certainly can. <laughs> but that being said, you know, listen. I mean, the movie has amassed this sort of you know, pardon my bad pun, but like cult following over the years, you know, that I never expected. And so I cherish it. You know, I mean, I always wear my Halloween shirt, my carry my flag proudly. I mean, there's, there's not, there's nothing about that experience. I would yeah. give back. I mean, for sure. I mean, it's the one that stands out so differently from, from the others other than, you know, three, which is, you know, completely separate right. thing, but you know, this one has sure. its own unique feel to it in comparison mm -hmm. to some, you know, some of the other holidays. Well, it's funny that the thing you guys brought up about Friday the 13th earlier, I think does apply to our movie. I think it's the one that looks the most fall because it was shot in the fall. In fact, the first day of shooting was Halloween day. Cool. In Salt Lake City. Like they started shooting on October 30th or 31st, 1994. So, and I was there for that and that was cool, but it was freezing. In Salt Lake. <laughs> In Salt Lake City, uh, they had an early winter, so it started snowing halfway through the shoot, which was not good. Mm. Um, but that those trees and the leaves on the ground, all that's real. Like it wasn't like in the original movie where they had like PAs throwing bags of old leaves on the street, and then having to rake them up and use them again. Like all that was real because it was in Salt Lake in the fall, and it had that great look, and you felt that cold in the air because it was pretty authentic. I will tell you, I, I was bundled up tightly. There, there's no question about it. That's, I think, 
One of the things that we spoke about um, as we kind of uncover our 31 days of Halloween here at Red River Horror is that fall feeling, that autumnal feeling that some movies have. Halloween 6, there is no question about it, is... it, it just it bleeds fall like you are you are immersed yeah. in the season like him mm-hmm. setting up decorations and and you know kids kind of trick or treating and mm-hmm. knocking them down and the yes so uh, there's there's no question about it for me that is that was part of the appeal because I love the season and now being an adult I, it, the season moves so fast so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And if we only had one this year, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> we're, you know, we're all making do. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was that was part of the fun of it. And I, and you have to remember, we were all so young. I was 24 when I got hired to write this movie, which is crazy. Yeah. Like, what were they thinking? Like, hiring this 20, like, I guess I didn't think of myself as that young. But now looking back, I'm like, I would have never hired a 24-year-old <laughs> to write, you know, to give the reins of my franchise to him. And uh but Mustafa really believed in me and and was always championing my work. And so I'm so grateful. You know, he sadly was was killed. Uh I tell these depressing stories. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> he was killed in a in a terrorist explosion uh, many years back. And um it's just a tremendous loss, you know. And I mean really I do credit my the fact that I have a career, you know, at all to, to that man because he really like Again, you know, being as young as I was, he saw something in me that gave me that opportunity. And, you know, you always have to look fondly on somebody and show appreciation to somebody that gave you that first, you know, kind of acknowledgement. It's definitely, you know, a huge, huge loss for the Halloween family, for sure, when that happened. And that's Mm -hmm. what I really um, enjoy about Stacey's piece that's going to debut September 29th is... You, you you get to like that this story kind of get, gets a lot more space you know mm-hmm. like like what, what you're saying now like your your big break in Hollywood all the research all the different things that it from a filmmaker's perspective like and I feel like that's probably a perspective that I never had like when you think it's just like cool I'm going to be interviewing Daniel Farron's writer Halloween 6 huge Halloween 6 fan yeah like there's very specific things and then as I was reading uh, Stacy's article. I'm like, man. I said, like, I would have never, I would have never thought to <laughs> ask questions like this to kind of tell a story that I would have never known going into mm. this. You know what I mean? Well, Stacy's so good at what she does. She knows what to ask. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I think? I appreciate and Stacy. Your journalism is always fantastic in this way. Is that you deep dive into things that some people just sort of skirt past them, and, and you find a way to sort of ask a question in a way that somebody else hasn't before. That made that interview kind of fun for me to do because it was really like, oh, somebody, oh, okay, I, have to, I really have to think on this one. So, so, which, which was great. But that's a testament yeah. to her thoughtfulness. Aww. Thank you. So that's why we started. We um, Brooke Lewis actually helped us a little bit because she's she's social media champion. But we uh, we're starting Women in Horror Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So we have Tony Todd Tuesday now. Women in Horror Wednesday. Oh my god, so. that's such a great idea, you guys. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, as long as Stacy's available on Wednesdays, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Keep it simple with tweets. It's a, it's an easy commitment. It is. That's true. That's true. One tweet. So, but, um, (laughs) but yeah. So again, I, when I look back on the whole experience, I mean, we were just like a bunch of kids, you know, I mean, I was 24 going on 25 and Paul Rudd was my, my age. (laughs) Um, Marianne was maybe a year older. 
wow. you know, we're all yeah. just like these, these youngsters, you know, and we were just like having the time of our lives because here we were like making this movie. Michael Myers is on the set and fucking Donald Pleasance is on the set. You <laughs> yeah, know? Right, and yeah. we all just sort of bowed to him. It's this incredible, like having that, I mean, it, that's where you felt like, oh, we're really making this. Like it's Donald Pleasance, right. he's there. I think that was probably one of the most intimidating things in the writing process for me was having to like think, oh, Donald is gonna read this script. Oh yeah. my God, and he's gonna have to say these lines. I'm not worthy. I can't, <laughs> yeah. I, I am not. I couldn't, you know, Marianne said it well. She goes, I couldn't, I'm not worthy to darn his socks, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So we were all in awe of this man. Um, Marianne came from a very theatrical background, so she spent lots of time with him talking about his really work and interplays and like everything that you can think of, like things that he had done, you know, back from, you know, he'd been in World War II and had been captured. And I mean, he just had stories that were regale you with his life experience and little did we know you know again you know something sad that happened is that donald passed away you know mm-hmm. before the right. were even contemplated so it was you know a tremendous loss for the movie and all of us we were thrilled that we had the chance to have had that experience with him but you know we wanted to see it to the finish line and I wish, you know, Donald had always jokingly, I don't think, he, maybe he wasn't joking, but he's like, I'll stop making Halloween movies when they get to 27 or whatever it was. <laughs> Whoa. I guess with, just, with Blumhouse now, was, I guess that's he was, possible. He was, uh, he was funny and he always just always had everybody laughing and was just kind to everyone. And he's just what, you know, he's one of those people, he's just what you would have wanted him to. Yeah, I was kind of wondering what he was like on set and, and you know, I mean, you being the pretty much like the first time writer of the franchise, you know, mm-hmm. that was the first big job. But yeah, I just watched a movie with him in it last night uh, that I've seen a few times. So uh, the Joan Collins one, the devil within her from 19. 19- oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's just so, you know, I guess majestic is the word, you know, he yeah. just seems to have a real presence, but you said he was pretty down to earth and friendly and funny. I mean, completely, but we were still so in awe. You just watch the way he walks, you know, you just, the way you like, he'd walk into the room and everybody would just, you know, you just, I just want to take it all in and just sort of see him. And he was so, he was so getting on in years and obviously in failing health and you can tell in the movie. So mm-hmm. a lot of the scenes where he had to walk through a scene just were difficult for him. So, you know, some of that stuff, we just had to kind of scale it back. Um, like for example, there's this sort of throwaway line that, Joe threw into the movie because they just didn't want to put him through hours of like burn makeup, you know, to sort of establish or mm. this continuity with Halloween too. And he been so, I mean, come on, in real life he would have been blown to pieces. In that yeah. but, you know, he returned to for four and five, and now he's back with six. And you know, they just given his age, they just didn't want to put him through that. You know, this hours sitting in that makeup chair, having to apply all of that those things and the appliances and the burn makeup, and and I just out of out of consideration to him. Oh, I had some plastic perhaps or something he's better yeah <laughs> so um maybe we could have put a little like a blowfeld little thing around his eye you know <laughs> but uh anyway but he was so you know and and honestly i will say feather in our cap we are the last real halloween movie in my opinion because it was the last one we've done ah he was fair. a huge part i think all of the ones subsequent great cool didn't have him fair and there's something missing you know you feel it yeah you know you're right yeah is, is lacking and, and you know they try to do throwbacks or have somebody imitate his voice or what have you and to kind of like 
nod to him, but it's, you know, we, we were the ones that got him. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. It's really special, really special. Now, would you say that Malcolm McDowell did a, did the character justice for Rob Zombie's take? He, he did a, he did a character. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what that, I don't know. I, I mean, that was somebody else's version yeah. or, or concept of, of the story. So I don't really even put them in the same kind of category. It's a different, I don't, I don't, I don't see those as Halloween movies. Just, That's just my cool. yeah. I agree with you 100%. And, and it's not to knock Rob Zombie at all. I was a huge fan of his music, especially growing up. I did not, yeah. they did not feel at all to me like Halloween films. And I know that some, no. some Halloween fans embrace them and say, Oh, well you can't blame them for trying to do a little something different than like the Michael Bay right. remakes. I get it. Right, I right. just didn't <laughs> like, that doesn't mean I need to like it. Well, you know? <laughs> well I, also think, I mean, look at what now they've kind of really resurrected it and going back to the, you know, I mean, this next one is going to apparently be like cameo central. The entire original cast for the most part is making a, a, a comeback in the next movie. So you know, I think I think the new guys have really embraced the past, sort of brought Jamie Lee. I, and I think that that's the franchise. I don't think it's this alternate universe stuff that Rob attempted to do. I, I don't mm-hmm. think people are ready for that yet. Maybe, you know, years down the line, maybe that's something to consider. But I still think when the original cast is still alive, I, I just don't understand why you would just do something that's completely off, off the beaten track from <laughs> from that and i think people ran to the new one with to to you know the the reboot of halloween with jamie lee and and um in 2018 because it was her and it felt like a return to what they were to me see i absolutely love halloween 20 years later and i think the ending to that movie is perfect but it seems like at that point in her career it's just like okay i'm gonna do this for the money it seems Mm -hmm. at this stage and i could be completely wrong um, but at this stage, it's just like, I'm going to do this for the fans one and two, you know, I'm in a position now that like everybody kind of has to bow to Jamie Lee Curtis mm-hmm. in order for these new ones to work. Right. For sure. I mean, she understands her value now and her legacy in this whole thing. You know, I think she maybe back then didn't understand it as much, didn't maybe understood it, but didn't embrace it. And I think now she's at a place in her life where she's like, okay. You know, I'm the queen, so <laughs> mm-hmm. bring it on. <laughs> um, good for her. Yeah. Stacey, your take as the only woman here. <laughs> yeah, so on the, <laughs> the uh, recent Halloween, I loved it. I actually really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good homage and uh, yet stood on its own. And, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And the music was fantastic. Yes. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Had everything going for it in my view. <laughs> So I just have like a f- just like two more questions that are like bullet point questions that I'm genuinely curious about, Dan, and then sure. we can talk about the future. You always hear from the consumer side about how the studio destroyed the film. The studio did this. The studio did that. In that case, like who was Miramax? So we know who Dimension Films was. Who was Miramax? Where was Mustafa Akkad and Malik Akkad in this like Frey, and how much did they... Because to me, it seems like that one party had so much power and control and ultimately under you know, they released the film that they felt should be released, and that was Dimension. Where did all these other quote-unquote studios come into play? Well, Miramax was just the parent 
company of Dimension. Dimension was like in a different hallway than Miramax. Miramax is the parent studio. And it was named after Bob and Harvey's parents, Miriam and Max. Oh. So that's that's that was the origin of the name. But Miramax was kind of their their label that released sort of the the Oscar fair, you know, all their Oscar winning movies, you know, Goodwill Hunting and um, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah. you, you just go down the list. Right. Dimension was was just it was Bob's corner. So Bob Harvey really was more of the point guy on Miramax, and Dimension, which was like I said, a different hallway, was Bob. So which is two different names of the same company. Mm-hmm. So there was no, it wasn't two studios, it was one studio. Okay. But in those days, Disney had bought it out. So, and interestingly, Halloween 6 was one of the first Disney-based movies. So if you even look at your VHS tapes, it says, like, Buena Vista releasing. Huh. It's Disney. Yeah. So the real irony is that we had a lot of suits on the set, and they all had Mickey Mouse jackets. <laughs> Which oh my gosh. was hilarious. That's hilarious. Yeah. So, um, anyway, so so Disney really became the parent company, and Miramax slash Dimension became within, it was a label within the Disney family. So they then had the controlling stake in what the film would ultimately be, and then... The yeah, but Disney had literally no interest in any of that. They just gave Bob and Harvey their overhead to make whatever number of movies they promised to make them a year, and they footed the bill for it. Bob and Harvey were the ones, specifically more Bob on, on our movie, they were the voice of the studio, and or Bob was, and Mustafa, who had the rights, and historically had the rights to the sequels, as you know, and Malik, who was much younger at the time, also my age, were on the producer side of it. And they had made the deal to produce the movie through Miramax slash Dimension, and then, unfortunately, Dimension, when they saw that infamous test screening that we just talked about earlier, they they basically took the movie over. They took it away from the Akkads and said, we're going to fix this. Mm. We're going to make this right. Wow. And the Akkads filed a lawsuit, and they walked away. So, huh. and I, don't think that, I honestly don't think that got resolved until they made H2O, which was three years down the road. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a big mess. Wow. It wasn't good. So the Akkads really were like, we know what you're going to do. We don't, we're not on board with that. We know what's best for this franchise. We know what the fans want. Um, you don't let us do our thing. They're like, and, the, and Bob was like, well, we gave you your chance and you blew it. So now I'm going to fix it. Wow. That was his attitude. Hmm. And his, you've seen his version of fixing it. <laughs> right. Right. <Yeah. laughs> which, which, so, which I love so much, but what, what ultimately, yeah, but, I mean, when you think about just the gory aspects of it and the kind of over the top nature of it all, yeah. that was just Bob like screaming through a phone going, I want blowout deaths, <laughs> blow his head up, blow do you know, just, just this craziness. Mm. And, you know, that's the experience of what you got when you work Bob and Harvey, you know, <laughs> it wasn't like, let's make it good. Let's just make it as crazy as we can and we'll make a few bucks on the opening weekend and we'll move on to the next movie. Yeah. Yikes. That was sort of their attitude toward all of it. And it was just to all of us who cared so much. And I speak for myself and I know I do the whole cast. We and Paul Rudd in particular, like we knew what we signed up to make and then they put, they just kind of dismantled it and made something different. So it was, it was tough. It was tough. You are, I think on record, you don't prefer one cut to the other cut. 
Am, am I correct? I guess what you know. I, listen, well, I, I know what you're asking, and, and, and I and I and I sort of play Switzerland a little bit with it because I know people like like it, you know, and they like certain things about one and like certain things about the other. I will say that in terms of my intention, the first thing they call the producer's cut, which finally finally got released legitimately a few years back, thanks to our friends at uh, Scream slash Shout Factory. Yeah. Um, that's more along the lines of I think what the script intended to be, but I felt like. They never quite got it. Mm-hmm. You know, there was just moments that didn't really play out the way I envisioned. Like I, I would have directed the movie so differently stylistically in terms of how I would have shots or I would have just drawn moments out that I think would have really helped kind of like solidify it as a real Halloween movie as opposed to just, you know, kind of like, okay, they walk into a room and they're, they're going to die. You know, I, I think Michael was always about the cat and mouse, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, and that kind of almost he was a bit of a trickster. You know, and I, there were so many things in the script that made him that that they just eliminated. Um, so that was that's why I don't really embrace either one in terms of like, oh, that's my version. You know, oh, yeah. but I understand that each version of that movie, you know, because there were kind of two, has its audience and has its fan base, and and I love that. I think it's it's awesome that people still watch this movie, <laughs> plays every year on the AMC, you know, Fear Fest, and. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's great, but it just, you know, has another life. Yeah. If it, the things that I've always been curious about with this film, oh. and if you're know, coming from me from the writer, like would, would there have been like more expansion on like the actual, like the thorn, the whole cult behind Michael Myers. And then the other part of this question is like, what made you decide that is like, you're going to do uh, Tommy Doyle as like mm. the lead. Mm-hmm. The first part, um, Never intended to kind of explain all of it in this movie. It was funny when I wrote the first version of a, like a treatment that I pitched to Mustafa. And mind you, like for some reason, fans have this idea or like it's kind of gotten out around there. Like I wrote some Halloween script on spec and sent it to Mustafa and he loved it. That's not how it happened. Mm-hmm. I had sent five years before I ever got hired for this job. I had sent him uh, or actually his producing partner at the time, Ramsey Thomas, who'd done five. I sent him a, like an original horror script that I'd written, and Ramsey liked it enough to allow me to go in and pitch Halloween 6. It was not that I had written a Halloween script on my own. When I finally got called in five years after the fact to pitch something, it was kind of they were under the gun. There had been several writers who had pitched things or had written drafts of things that were not up to their standards or liking, and they were like, well, then maybe this kid can do something because he keeps bothering us. Um, so... <laughs> So I came in and and um, basically sent me away after that meeting to go write a treatment, and it was long. I don't know, it was like twenty pages long or something, and it was like Halloween six and seven put together. And when most of them read it, it was, this is beautiful. I love this. I have to do his voice. This is wonderful. Oh, this is two movies. We have six and we have seven. Da, da, da. So so all of that stuff about the, the cult and what there was a much bigger reveal that you were going to discover, and it was more kind of along the lines of Shirley Jackson's The Lottery. As mm. a that okay. Uh, Stacy, I know you have. And it was going to be the bigger reveal that the whole town was involved in this kind of secret society. And a little bit of like the Wicker Man. Ah. And <laughs> we decided to sort of start with the sanitarium and that involvement and then build it bigger in seven. So that was the intention. That's such a good idea. <laughs> well, thank you. We never got to make that. Um, I do love the Wicker Man too. So like it just like bells start yeah, yeah. going off. Like, I, was, like, oh. I was going, I was going down the road of like Wicker Man, or now we have like Midsummer. You know, things like that where you're gonna you were gonna discover ultimately that Haddonfield had that had made this pact 
yeah. with this kind of deity that they believed existed that, you know, was embodied in Michael Myers. And, you know, again, not to over explain it. And I feel like the movie went way too far and all this things like how it, you know, it just Michael Myers doesn't need to be explained. I think he just needs to be this force of nature, but he needs something. He needs a mythology. He needs a lore of some kind. And that's what we were trying to kind of give him a little bit more of that, a little bit more backstory in terms of where this evil originated. Because it was all set up in Halloween 2. It's like Sam Hain is on the chalkboard. And, mm-hmm. You know, there were all these clues that I felt like were there, but nobody ever picked up on them. And certainly in 4 and 5. So I just sort of picked up where I felt like John Carpenter left off and, and did that. So, um, yeah. So that was, I'm so sorry. And I, and I just went on that long-winded thing. What was the second part of your question? No, that was, that was, that was fantastic. The second part was like when you sat down, like what, what made you decide that you were going to go with like Tommy Doyle? Oh, Tommy. Being- yes. Um, I don't know. Um, it just occurred to me when I was pitching it, like, let's bring back some of the characters from the original movie. Um, originally, I think I even had Bracket in there. Of course, now they're doing all this stuff. Like, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and they're 25. using Lindsay instead of Tommy. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, well he's, um, Tommy's in it, too. They're both in, in the new one. But it's not so, like the actor um, guy. <laughs> no, and I know that was a whole controversy, and I feel bad for him. It's funny, Brian Andrews played Tommy Doyle in the original movie, and I went and looked for him the time remember pre-internet right mm-hmm. now i could just text him on you know whatever twitter hey you want to be in halloween six um <laughs> but <laughs> couldn't find him he wasn't listed with sag i couldn't find him i looked and looked and i thought even if we don't have him play tommy it would be cool if he came in and played some cameo one of the cult members or you know the guy in the bus station or something like that but i couldn't find the guy so it just oh we met years later at one of the conventions guy but he uh yeah i think he lobbied for this new one and it didn't work out and i there's just been a whole bunch of apparently back and forth animosity there and it's, it's unfortunate but yeah so my idea was just i really wanted to bridge that continuity line between the first and second movie and then the fourth and fifth movies because i felt like they ignored all of it in a way and so i just wanted to bring that you know kind of string them together a little more and i thought well tommy's such an interesting guy and then they had brought tommy back for friday 13th part five and six which was similar, you know, like the Corey Feldman character in this right. Friday Four. And I was like, you know, Halloween never did that. You know, they never brought their Tommy back. It's funny that they both have a Tommy yeah. as a kid. <laughs> um, so maybe it was a little bit influenced by all of that. So, yeah. Huh. Cool. All right, Stacy, I'm going to put you on the spot. Oh? <laughs> so which cut of the film do you prefer? The producer's uh, cut or the theatrical? She's, she's like, I've never seen it ever, so I don't care. <laughs> That's why she's still my friend. <laughs> I did actually just revisit the producer's cut and um, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun and I do like, it's atmospheric, but like you said, Dan, it's not as suspenseful as one would expect from a Halloween film. It's got a certain feel to it and a vibe to it that I like. So I'm going to go with that one, the producer's cut. Okay. Yep. Me too. I think, I think the problem is with the, even though there's some elements that they kind of fixed on the, final theatrical version just they went so far in that direction of like just the crazy bloodletting and exploding heads on fuse boxes and just kind of ridiculous <laughs> stuff it just became so over the top that i just felt like what is, what is this now like, what, I don't what know. I'm, just, um, I'm inured to it all i've seen everything so to me it's like oh they did they blew up heads i forgot about that part right right <laughs> no i think at the time because we knew we, we all signed on to the script that felt like okay this is going to be great because it's going to be like Stacey was saying more suspenseful you know and, and more of that 
trick or, trick or treat trickster that Michael Myers was always intended to be while adding this layer of mythology to the whole thing. So we really actually thought we were on the right track, but then various things happen when you're making a movie and it's, you know, it's not always what was on the page. And I felt like it kind of cheesed out, you know, and, and didn't deliver. And so that's why I say like, you know, had I directed my own script, which is today, uh, <laughs> I would have just approached all of it in such a different way, you know, and gotten those moments in there. It's, that's the stuff that makes it. Mm-hmm. So, what what yeah. from the page, what did you write that if you could include that one either scene or story arc, like what part of the story that you wrote would you put into the final cut of the film, one to make it? There's still many of them, but I don't know why when you asked that, the first scene that occurred to me, and I'm not saying that this is the only one, but there was a scene that I had written where the, the cranky dad like drives up to the house and in the movie, he just like walks in the house and goes in the basement, and gets killed, you know. And then they, of course, made it worse when they his head up. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the script, he got home, he looked around the house, the television was on, and somebody had been, turned it on to. They were having a horathon like in the original movie, and they were watching Halloween three. And he's like, "What the fuck is this shit?" And he turns the TV <laughs> off, and then he goes into the kitchen and he makes himself a sandwich, and he goes back into the living room, and somebody's turned it back on to Halloween three, and he's pissed off, and he goes back into the kitchen, and somebody took his sandwich, and it's like this whole dance that Michael was playing with him, and it it was never shot. Oh, so, that's a shame. I that, like that. Those are the, that, and that's just one example, but there were many scenes like that in the movie, in the script that just were. So now it's not all of this interplay. Now it's he walks in and he gets killed. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it's like cutting out the meat of the joke, you know, and going right to the punchline. So it's like, well, I don't get the joke because you only gave me the setup and, and the payoff. You never gave me the, right. why is this? You know, so it, that's, that's my problem. Yeah. I, I would have. That's that's good. That would have been that would have been enjoyable to watch. But now we have that in our. I mean, has a copy of the original. Watch, I'll never think of that scene again the same way. And yeah. It's going yeah. to be. Uh, it's gonna be uh, oh wait, the dad just walks in. And, you know, <laughs> but he was a character. I mean, in a way, maybe it was good they blew up his head because he was so. <laughs> <laughs> a fitting end. Yeah. Like so, has do you th- has there been a copy of like the original script ever been leaked online, or do you still have a copy? Um, versions of it you know i i don't know i get asked that quite a bit and, yeah. and there's some version of it i don't know i it's funny because i felt like i was rewriting so much of the time that i don't I don't remember what would have been considered the first 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 okay you know? yeah um, red river so horror wouldn't stuff, get that that would be bloody disgusting right. yeah <laughs> <laughs> but there's you know there are versions of it floating around it's i've been approached a few times about maybe doing a novelization of it based on the screenplay I don't know. I just have I've never. I just haven't. I just gotten involved with other things and said it. We did do ten years ago, ten or fifteen years ago. It's a long time. They did do a series of comics that kind of took the Halloween Six sort of ending and then kind of did almost a little bit of that Wicker Man thing that mm-hmm. I told you guys about. Like they took that and they made Mrs. Blankenship like the leader of the cult in the town, a little lady that lived across the way. I always thought that made sense. You know, she's like. The, the shot, the the very first shot of the first Halloween is Michael Myers POV tracking shot moving from across the street. So I was like, "Where was he?" Whoa! And she says, "In my movie, I was babysitting, with him. and yep. I I believe she turned him into that." that Whoa! Hmm. That was my huh. 
I because if you look that. at that very first shot, he's, he's he's coming from the house across the street. Dude, that was just like, that, huh? You can't see me, Daniel, Oof. but my that was like a. <laughs> yeah, I saw it. I saw. I, I saw it in like this division. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm really glad we got to do this this podcast episode because we got to talk to the writer of Halloween Six, but. One of the reasons we wanted to do a little bit of a deeper dive is because Stacy has a great piece coming out on RedRiverHorror.com celebrating 25 years of Halloween, Halloween 6. Six. And yes. you will find a lot of cool stories. I guess, Stacy, you were born in Hollywood, right? That's right. And Dan, you're, I guess, I think oh, you're from New England. I was not. <laughs> so you... <laughs> Uh-huh. I was not. I, I was born in Providence, Rhode Island. We moved to California when I was seven. We did live in Los Angeles for a few years, and then my mother decided, yeah, no, that's not happening. We're not, you know. Mm. So she basically, she basically, like, pointed to a map one day, and we just moved to this town called Santa Rosa. Hmm. And that's where we pretty much grew up. And that's north of San Francisco. Beautiful. Yeah. But that, and the story... Yeah. The story. That, 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 that was my mother. She would just, like, find a... Okay, let's just go there. Oh. <laughs> That um, makes you adaptable, right? Yeah, it did. So, but you know, then I knew what I wanted to do. It's funny, you know, when I was was a kid, you know, growing up in Santa Rosa, which, ironically, by the way, the connection there is they made Scream in, in Santa Rosa. Ah. I grew up in it. And this whole controversy about the high school that didn't let them shoot the movie there, and Wes Craven sued them. Well, that was my high school. <laughs> that was actually my high school. The Fonz got killed in your high school, dude. Oh no, because they didn't let they didn't let them film there. No. High school. They, <laughs> they they read the script and said we're not letting some bloody horror movie. And I had just done Halloween Six. Yeah. It had just come out. And I called my school and I said, Wait a minute! I was making these movies when I was in high school. I was dragging dead bodies down halls. Like, how is it you're becoming? You know, but you have to remember that also had there was a horrible kidnapping at the time in that area. Um, this young young girl, Holly Class. Um, and she'd been abducted from her bedroom and murdered by this guy, oh, this horrible yeah. guy. And I think the town was just on edge because of that, yeah. that, that murder. And to sort of put their support in a, in a movie that sort of was gory and about teenagers being off, you know, I just think it was bad timing. I don't think that right. they were necessarily trying to censor the movie. I think they were just reacting to the climate yeah no scream so, 3 was anyway, the one that yeah, was censored weird, weird thing but none of my friends in santa rosa were surprised that i wrote a Halloween movie. <laughs> <of them. laughs> so. and and that's why i'm excited for this this 25th uh anniversary celebration to come out on redriverhorror.com because that's it's kind of like your story being a fan and then actually boom you're you're in la and you're, and you're doing it like you're you're working on something that you love so much and and it's it's very inspiring to people because Thanks, guys and honestly that's that has not more to do with the generosity and maybe i don't know what the word is of mustafa you know he didn't owe me anything i didn't know anyone nobody paid any favors to me you know he just saw something and said okay you know so that's the story that i you know take from halloween six is just that somebody pointed to this kid and said no, go for it. And that doesn't happen a lot. So we have to always sort of 
respect our, our, our mentors and our elders and, you know, really hopefully pay that forward, you know, in life. And I, and I try to do that. That's why I try to respond to all the fan mail. And now it's so easy, you know, I get fans on, you know, but I try to, re- I try to answer every one of them. That's, that's, you know, that's was, awesome. You know, I'm one of those because somebody, you know, everybody's got their dream in life. Everybody wants to, you know, achieve something and whether or not it's making films or being a sports figure or you name it, you know, we all dream something for our lives. And I, you know, I think it's important to acknowledge that, especially with young people today. It's, it's, it's not easy. My little part, you know, because it was, (laughs) it was done for me. So what's to come in the near future? Yeah. I just finished a movie crazily enough. I, this bold experiment, we were one of the first independent movies to go into production during this pandemic that we're currently in. Hmm. And that was an act of stupidity or bravery. I don't know which one, but I guess bravery because we came out of it unscathed. Nobody got sick. Thank God. Um, we made a pretty cool movie. It's, it's, it's about Ted Bundy. And Ooh. I know that that sounds like we've been down that road, but I don't feel like we've been down this road um, with that story. You know, I feel like, you know, there's been a bunch of documentaries in the recent past couple of years. And then the Zac Efron movie, which I felt like, I don't know. Well-made, great cast, but I just felt like they slid Ted Bundy into this sort of likable, misunderstood American hero. And I'm like, that's not who he was. Yeah, he's a monster. Yeah, they tried to capture and, his charming, the charming aspect yeah. of him a little more than like because like. So he, I made I yeah. made the opposite. Hmm. I made the Ted Bundy as a boogeyman movie, and it's literally called American Boogeyman. <laughs> so we'll be announcing it. I think the release of it sometime in November, um, probably come out first quarter year. But so I'm just finishing that now and uh, writing a new one, which I don't not ready to talk about just yet. But uh, sure, <laughs> okay, uh, yeah. but I've been really grateful to you know just be able to you know you, we all turn on the news right now and things are so horrible and, and desperate and people are you know I'm just I'm glad to have my little cocoon to return to, you know, even if it's murder and mayhem. <laughs> it, it helps sort of process some of this sanity that we're all living with yeah it's definitely been a not fun time yeah but we (laughs) have have these things to help us escape right exactly and and that's the interesting thing i think people are you know there's you call it content now but you know know, know, films and tv but there's just so little of it you know that's being made um and all these fall shows are being you know delayed and all of these you know big tentpole movies are being delayed and pushed to even halloween all kills is being pushed to next year and you know i think we're all just living in this weird vacuum and anyway like i said i'm just grateful to be busy and um just trying to focus on that Mm -hmm. excellent stacy what about you i know you've been extremely busy Well, I mean, even though there's not as much going on, it's still Halloween season, uh, literally and figuratively. So there's always horror films to cover. And I've, I've got like, I don't know, six or seven screeners to watch today and tomorrow, which is mind boggling. But um, yeah, and then I'm also in um, the distribution phase of my documentary about the ventures, which is music, it's nothing to do with horror, but, um, you know, it's kind of fun to jump outside the uh, horror arena on occasion. So that's what I'm up to. Excellent. And and Joe, just a little background. Yeah. I don't think I ever told you this. Um, Stacy's father is Don Wilson from The Ventures. Oh, get out of here. Now, in Philadelphia, why The, the Ventures are so popular to us is because we hear 
we hear the Christmas tune every uh, cycle, and it is the top played like yeah. every single hour. You will hear that on the two Philadelphia radio stations that play Christmas music. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the Ventures Christmas album is as uh, undying as Michael Myers himself. <laughs> <laughs> well said. So, but yeah, obviously other stuff like the the surf tunes, uh, Walk Don't Run, and Hawaii Five O, and Wipeout. So I kind of cover the whole gamut of of the history and the rise of the electric guitar as it ties in with the ventures. So I think it'll be a lot of fun. That'll be out on December eighth, so people can. Cool. Where's it gonna Where's it gonna be? Do you, do you know where it's gonna be released, Ace? Like, is it is it gonna be streaming or is it? Where's it- yeah, it's going to be streaming and DVD, and I don't know exactly which um, platforms yet because the distributor is getting all that together right now. Yes, cool. it's very exciting. After many years of working on a documentary, as you know, Dan, because you oh yes, yes, so yeah, it's all good. Yep, that's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. Can't wait to see it. Please send me a message as soon as it comes out. I really want to see it. I will. Yeah. Us yeah, too. So long time. <laughs> yes, and the ventures, of course, graced the the stage in philadelphia on american bandstand that's that's our claim to fame before mm. before uh, dick clark took it out to la you know the we, rock and roll hall of fame should be here yes it should i didn't even know that he it was done in philly before it was done in la yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so cool i never knew that mm-hmm. yeah so when the ventures were on they were on the stage in philadelphia mm-hmm. just mm. saying <laughs> so but before we wrap anything up yes the big question, if, if you guys don't mind jumping in on a debate that we've been having on this podcast. Oh, yeah. Two okay. more questions for both of you yeah. guys, actually. Yes, two more, if you don't mind. Okay, yeah. sure. So first one, this is, do you guys consider The Silence of the Lambs a horror movie? I do. Boom. Me too. Ah, yes. I, I say no. Yes. I feel like there's. There's dread and suspense, and there's a, oh, okay. there's also cannibalism or whatever. You know, I mean, it's it's like body body mutilation and 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 you know. Um, yeah, I mean, all the elements are there, but I just don't. I feel like it has a different. <laughs> well, it's elevated horror. Okay. <laughs> elevated horror. That's what Hollywood, Hollywood would call that. If I were to go into a, any pitch room or whatever, or some studio, they'd be like, "We want elevated horror." And that's the kind of example they would use. Okay. They would want they want something that feels like it's made with top-notch talent, with the best cinematography, the best director, the best music, you know, composer. Yeah. Like, you know, that's what that movie had going for it. it had a, a big movies, two big movie stars. Yeah. Had great director, amazing cinematographer, Howard Shore, the score. Everything about it was A-class. A yeah, exactly. That, but it makes it a elevated horror film, like Psycho would be considered an elevated horror film. Okay. Yeah, because that was my argument. I was like, this is just too polished. It's a- <laughs> like it's horror too good. Polished. Right. But yeah. it's, it's, they didn't, you know, it, yeah. I think it's degrees of horror. <laughs> yeah. But it's still horror. But I mean, my God, he's tearing their backs, the skin off their backs and making himself a suit. And then he'd be like, yeah, sure, no, sure. The, the reason this is such a big deal is because, so I, I actually got outvoted on the um, Silence of the Lambs falls on our, our 31 days of Halloween for Red River Horror, our Red October, and 
Silence of the Lambs was on here, and one of the new Red River Horror contributors, Dr. Halloween and Joe, both said, do, do not view Silence of the Lambs as a horror film. Maybe I'll, I'll draw it back and say it's not a Halloween horror movie. That's it's fair. not one that I'd watch for the Halloween season, because well, I could watch that movie any time. Right. It's not okay. a teen horror movie. It's, a, it's an adult horror film. Yeah. You know? Elevated. Like the, Exorcist, the Exorcist would be an elevated horror film. It's another good, yeah. Okay. I mean, there's a supernatural aspect to The Exorcist that right. The Lambs doesn't have, which I think makes it more horror. But yeah, I mean, true, there's an argument for sure. But um, I, I just feel like it, it scares you. It makes you feel dread and it's suspenseful. I think that quality mm-hmm. of the horror genre. That and also the gruesomeness of it all. You know, the fact right. that he was, yeah. you know, cutting these girls up and making suits out of their backs and ugh, just, <laughs> I get all freaked out by it. Uh, now, not to ruin it, but I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Silence of the Lambs, the musical. I've uh, seen it. I have seen it too. I need to see it. <laughs> okay. You can find it online. Uh, I mean, the music is all there, but to see it on stage is really something. They have done it in like, they did it in New York for like a fringe theater festival. They brought it to LA a couple of years back. It is, it's like a wild, great time. And it is the complete parody of all things Silence of the Lambs. I can't, I can't even tell you the names of some of the songs because you'd have to bleep. Um, but if I could smell her blank, well, you know, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, you know, put the fucking lotion in the basket is another humdinger. That seems like a good one. A I good really musical. Need, I really it's, want to find it's, it's pretty. It's pretty. It's pretty genius. Did you like it? <laughs> oh, I loved it. I loved it too. Yeah, I saw it. But live. you can't watch the movie anymore without. You know, I can't. Every time the movie's on, I start humming the songs. Because, <laughs> oh no! You know, so it kind of has taken the horror out of that horror movie, Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> <laughs> elevated, 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 elevated. <laughs> So then, so we got to ask everybody, every one of our guests that comes on the Red River Horror Podcast, favorite movie that you've either written or directed, and then your then your favorite movie, just your outright favorite horror movie. I, I honestly, that's just I can't say there's something favorite of mine that I've directed or written. I, I just don't have that. You know, Fair. one of those. I see everything that's wrong with it, so mm-hmm. I I've never. <laughs> a good one to ask yeah. uh, what my favorite would be. Uh, I just don't have an answer to that, guys. Sorry. That's all right. Um, now it's fair I mean, answer. It was my favorite movie. Of course, it's Halloween. Ah. 78. Ding, 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 ding. Good choice. <laughs> my all-time favorite movie. Yeah. Wow. Stacy. Oh, well, I, I've only directed one horror movie that's out. Um, so, I don't know. It's hor- a horror comedy, but I'm most excited about my upcoming film, which is a sci-fi rom-com and it's uh, called the second age of aquarius and i i call it uh weird science meets oliver stone's the doors so <laughs> wow. that's that's interesting that's a great tagline. That's, yeah. a great <laughs> that's awesome so i told stacy she's the busiest lady in hollywood who's not living in hollywood anymore that's right <laughs> it's all filtering out but yeah no so i'm excited about that but my favorite horror movie i don't know if i could really pick one it's you know uh, geez, I guess you've seen so much, Stacey. You've seen more than most people. That's true. Yeah, that's mean, a good I, point. Yeah. I mean, how do you narrow it down? Yeah, Is there yeah. one that like stands out that you like yeah. really like. You're in and yeah, but I, I do. I, yeah, I guess The Shining is one that never gets old for me. I do love it quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Me too. 
Okay. High yeah. on my list. Yeah, and Poltergeist. I just think oh, yeah. Pol- Poltergeist is good. I, I So I'm going to get in trouble here. I know this. All right. So Then don't. All right. No, do it. All right. Do so, it. So Nightmare on Elm Street. We talked about... <laughs> People love that film so much. They hold it in such high regard. I mm-hmm. like Nightmare on Elm Street. I just don't understand why it's so great. I feel the mm. same way about The Poltergeist. I mm. like Poltergeist. It's a good film. I can pop it on. I enjoy it. But, again, so many people that I respect in the horror space are like, oh, Poltergeist, that's, you know, that's, that's like, they hold it uh, with the movies like The Exorcist and The Shining. And it's just right. like, I, I just don't agree. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, that's the great thing about horror is there's so many um, sub-genres within it that you can kind of pick your own adventure, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe you're not into the supernatural stuff as much, or maybe you're just not into the, you know... I mean, there, I know there's, like, there's Camp Freddy, and then there's Camp Jason, and Mike, you know, like, everybody sure, has their own yeah. favorite So, And it's funny, I ended up doing the, the retrospective on Nightmare on Elm Street, and I wasn't the biggest of all the Freddy fans in our group, I will say. I was, you know, obviously I'm a Michael Myers and even Jason guy, but um, Freddy was probably the third on my list. But we ended up making this you know, crazy four-hour retrospective, and right. fans loved it, and I loved doing it. Um, but are the real, like, like, like the super fans in our group were like Andrew Cash, who was my collaborator on that, and um, he edited that entire show, which was insane. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they were the ones really driving the Freddy train, I think, more than I was on that one. So I'm kind of with you there. Cool. That's. And not to say I don't say. like it, I, I love it. I think, and, and honestly, I would say the third movie and, and New Nightmare are, are actually really New Nightmare is really good. Mm-hmm. So good. I enjoy New Nightmare, but that's what yeah. I just. For me, and it's just, again, personal preference, Nightmare on Elm Street and Poltergeist are nowhere near The Exorcist and The Shining. Like, they're just miles and miles away. I agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) Poltergeist is, again, like, here's that word again. It's like elevated haunted house movie. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about, you know, a William Friedkin and Stanley Kubrick. And then, you know, it's like, okay. You know, I mean, those are obviously iconic directors who did many different kinds of movies. So they had a body of work that may be different from some of the other uh, directors of the films of the eighties, like Wes Craven or Toby. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. All right. So Daniel Farron's writer, creator, Halloween six, mm-hmm. absolute honor to talk to you, sir. And oh, yes. I really appreciate the time you've, uh, allowed us today yeah you, you guys too really it was fun and um it's always great to talk to my friend stacy we miss she's not living in la anymore she abandoned yeah, us miss you too yeah well, we'll see you soon all right all and right. stacy we every, right. people can find you at women women in horror.com right that's correct all right guys all you right guys take care be safe take care of yourselves you too yeah, thank you guys thank very you. much bye and that was our interview with the great Stacey Lane Wilson and the writer of Halloween 6, Daniel Farrens, as we at Red River Horror celebrate 25 years of Halloween 6. You're going to want to head to redriverhorror.com, check out Stacey's interview with Dan a lot more in depth. And if you're, if, if you're aspiring to be a filmmaker, you just love horror films, you're going to love the story. Absolutely. Great job. Great job by all. Enjoy. Watch Halloween 6 just for fun. 25 years. 
This has been episode 10 of the Red River Horror Podcast. Keep traveling those channels of fear. Ah! Yeah.